My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Hello, hello, and welcome to the Postcard Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at Robible.com, and today we are doing things a bit differently as it's just me. Um, I apologize, I guess. Brandon, my usual, my always friend, sometimes co-host, is currently in Florida seeing his family. Cade is currently... Um, Putting his nose to the grindstone, trying to find a new job. If you have any opportunities for him in the video game or pop culture entertainment content creation space, reach out to him on Twitter at Cade underscore Onder or his email Cade Onder zero at gmail.com, I believe. Uh, Usually when it's just me, I will put the podcast off for a week, but I have an interview that I wanted to make sure that I got to you all, and that is with Alan Ritson, his new movie, Ordinary Angels, which he stars in alongside Hilary Swank. Uh, Hits theaters today, I believe, Thursday, February 22nd. Um, It's a Christian movie, kind of, sort of, but it was actually pretty good. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. It's getting solid reviews. Swank reminds you why she's a two-time Academy Award-winning actress. Ritson shows some range that Perhaps most of us didn't really know, so stay tuned for that interview at the end. And I figured since I'm going to have to put a podcast together for the interview, I might as well talk about some news and share some thoughts on both Spaceman, which is the new Adam Sandler movie, and the True Detective season four finale. But first, let's get to some news. Tom Cruise, uh, in his meeting with Warner Bros., who he recently signed a new contract with, um, which apparently Warner Bros. is trying to sign up talent like Cruz and Margot Robbie to make themselves look more appealing in a potential merger deal. The idea that a studio, um, forgive my slack for a second, the idea that a studio as iconic as Warner Bros. could be looking to sell or merge to me is unbelievable and sad, but also kind of expected given the way that David Zaslav has been running the company for the last, what, two years and basically treating it as a purely economic enterprise and making all of his decisions based on balancing the books and cutting the fat and basically everything that you don't want when creating art. But in the report about Tom Cruise, it was noted sort of what kind of projects him and Warner Bros. are thinking about doing together, one of which was an Edge of Tomorrow sequel, and the other mention was a potential role in Quentin Tarantino's The Movie Critic. Now, this is a little confusing because, well, first off, earlier this year, the Movie Critic cast Brad Pitt, likely in the lead role, um, fucking fantastic, Brad Pitt, I'm sure you've heard me say on the show before, is my favorite actor. Obviously, him and Tarantino have done some incredible work together in Glorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latter of which, of course, got him his first ever acting Academy Award uh, for Best Supporting Actor. But this is a bit confusing because the film doesn't have a distributor yet. So, well, why? So then, why would Warner Bros. be talking about Tom Cruise about being in it? Well, that suggests that Tom Cruise and Tarantino have had discussions about him being in the film because well why is tom cruise doing this well he's 61 years old the mission impossible franchise seems like it's winding down and he quote wants to get in back into more auteur driven work and work with directors like tarantino and also paul thomas anderson was name checked look 
Cruz has spent the last, what, 10, 15 years basically both revitalizing and sustaining the traditional movie star. But even Tom Cruise can't do that forever. And there was a time where he was considered one of his generation's premier A-list dramatic actors. I believe he's been nominated for an Academy Award three times. He's never won. But the most recent of which was 25 years ago for 1999's Magnolia. And since then, he's largely been the Cruise that we've come to know. Throwing himself over buildings, jumping out of planes, etc., etc. So the fact that he is looking forward to a potential post-putting-his-body-through-hell career and getting back into legitimately dramatic work and starting to do so in a fucking Tarantino film, and not just a Tarantino film, but what might be um, Quentin Tarantino's final movie, is basically, as a film fan, all you could want. Seeing him, seeing Cruz and Brad Pitt share scenes in a Tarantino movie would be absolutely fucking insane. So I feel like that's going to happen. If that does happen, maybe... The Tarantino film winds up at Warner Bros., which would be the first that they've made with him, I believe. Tarantino, of course, uh, was with Miramax. Was he with Miramax? No, sorry. He was with the Weinstein Company for a while. Uh, We all know how that ended. And then uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was released by Sony Pictures. Another big piece of news that dropped this week is that Rogue One and the creator-director Gareth Edwards is in talks to direct the new Jurassic World movie. It was previously reported that David Leach, Bullet Train, Deadpool 2, um, the upcoming The Fall Guy with Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt was in talks to direct the film. And that was just weird from the get-go because it's difficult to imagine the combination of Leach's very glib, neon-soaked, snarky tone fitting with something like Jurassic World, which the last few movies have frankly been bad. And as a result of them being bad, I couldn't really have given a shit less about the new one until Gareth Edwards was hired. To me, Gareth Edwards is one of the most exciting science fiction filmmakers working today. When I interviewed him a couple months ago, he said he didn't have really much interest in Thor 5 uh, because there were rumors about Marvel eyeing him for Thor 5. And instead, wanted to focus on creating original science fiction projects. Maybe Universal gave him a bag to direct Jurassic World that he simply cannot, could not turn down. But here's the thing with Gareth. And this is exactly what the Jurassic franchise needed. He understands scope and scale. Both in a technical sense, in terms of making things look gigantic and awe-inspiring and otherworldly. And in a emotional sense, when you think about the end of Rogue One or the end of the creator and how he's really able to hammer home um, the emotional cost of a massive science fiction story. So the idea of him putting those skills towards Jurassic World not only has me excited, but has me thinking that this could be the best Jurassic movie since the original. That's how much faith I have in Gareth Edwards. Uh, Avengers 5 dropped has officially dropped the Kang Dynasty subtitle. Reports indicate that Marvel Studios was already moving away from Kang the Conqueror prior to Jonathan Major's conviction. I don't know if I necessarily believe that because they didn't announce that they were going to fire him until Major. So Majors was arrested in March. I think he was convicted in what? January? November? I don't know. In the recent months. But Disney waited until then to fire him, which means that they were waiting to see how the trial shook out, which means that they were potentially considering continuing forward with Kang the Conqueror. Now that that's no longer the option, 
they're wisely pulling the plug on that. There are reports that Galactus is going to be the villain of Fantastic Four, which I think has come as a surprise to a lot of Marvel fans, considering how fucking literally massive the character is. I mean, he's big enough to swallow planets whole. It's always been the thought that Galactus would be a villain that Marvel Studios uses down the line, but with Secret Wars coming up, maybe that villain that's going to be... um, The villain that's going to put the Secret Wars wheels in motion is going to be Doctor Doom, which is the case in the comics. So maybe Marvel Studios is going to be pivoting away from Kang, use Doctor Doom as their next big bad, and have Galactus be contained to the Fantastic Four franchise, which seems odd and doesn't seem like it makes much sense. And that's why I'm so fascinated to see how Fantastic Four is going to shake out in terms of their position in the timeline and whether or not they are from the past and get sucked up to the future or they're from modern times, get sent back to the past, etc., etc. The death of the multiverse in Marvel is interesting because when you look at Loki season one and two, Kang was largely a very compelling, very rich, very exciting character, but then there was Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which was... Uh, by Marvel standards, a disaster. They were trying to... Not not a disaster. I mean, it made half a billion dollars. But for them, that's pretty low. And But more so how they were pitching it and using it to prop up Majors Kang as sort of the next big bad. And given that the audience didn't seem to be quite receptive of that, they started to get cold feet. And then, of course, Majors got arrested. And we all know what happened next. So if I had to bet, I would assume Doctor Doom is going to be the next big bad. Um... You know, of course, once the X-Men come around, there are characters like Magneto and Apocalypse that they could use Green Goblin in the Spider-Man world. I don't really know what's going on with Green Goblin and Spider-Man these days, but he's a bit too street-level to be an overall big bad. So, yeah, uh, hit me up on Twitter at PostgredPod and let me know who you think is going to be the next big bad of Marvel Studios. Okay, with all that said, I want to get on to my review of Spaceman. Spaceman is directed by Johan Rank. Rank? Johan Rank? Johan Rank? I'm Googling it right now. Johan Rank, yes. You know him as the director of Chernobyl. Yes, HBO's Chernobyl, which he also did episodes of Breaking Bad, the episodes Breaking, uh, sorry, Breakage, Moss, and Hermanos. He is directed episodes of The Walking Dead, Vikings, Bates Motel, Halt and Catch Fire, and Bloodline. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Chernobyl. Uh, Spaceman is his second feature film. And basically, features... You don't get much bigger than this in terms of your feature film debut. In terms of the cast, you've got Adam Sandler, who has been one of his generation's most iconic stars in both or regardless of genre, comedy or genre, uh, comedy or drama for the last, what, 35, 30 years. It stars Carrie Mulligan opposite him, who, what, she's got five Academy Award nominations to, no, sorry, three Academy Award nominations to her name and is basically one of uh, the preeminent sort of serious actresses these days. You know, we, we just saw her in... Maestro, for example, Spaceman is my first favorite movie of 2022. Uh, it, it is right at the nexus of my shit. You have you've you've heard me talk about this before, and that is romantic sci-fi. Um, romantic sci-fi is to me. So let's say, and this is just the first um, the first film that comes to mind. Rebel Moon is science 
fiction. Spaceman is romantic sci-fi. And the difference is that whereas science fiction is focused on the science part, romantic sci-fi is it just uses the sci-fi structure in order to tell what's ultimately a romantic story. So uh, trying to come up with more examples. So some romantic sci-fi films from over the years, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you know, even something like The Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon or Deja Vu with Denzel, wherein, you know, it is a traditional sci-fi movie. Denzel's going back in time and through time. Uh, the Adjustment Bureau... Damon is fucking going through doors and wearing hats and popping up all over the place. But at the end of the day, deja vu, Denzel's character falls in love with and tries to save Paul Patton's character in the Adjustment Bureau. Matt Damon is ultimately trying to go through all of this sci-fi fucking chaos just to be with Emily Blunt. You could say the same thing about movies such as The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, what else? Station Eleven, which is a TV series, even Interstellar for as hardcore, not even science fiction, real life science. I mean, Nolan famously consulted with fucking uh, Stanford physicist or something like Rip Torn and stuff like that to get all the science right. But at the end of the day, it ends on a romantic note. It ends with uh, Cooper going across galaxies to find the woman he loves. So romantic sci-fi, long story short, is my shit. And Spaceman is very much that, almost to a aggressive degree, to the extent that its romanticism and therefore its um, rumination will potentially turn some viewers off because of just how emotionally focused it is. Um, you know, if you're turning this on expecting a sort of standard space movie with Adam Sandler, you know, something like ad astra where he travels across the galaxy and from planet to planet and so on are going to be in for a rude awakening but if you're in the mood for more of a chamber piece that looks intensely inward at a character who is exploring the limits of how outward we could go uh then this is for you paul dano is great as hanush the creature from the beginning of time sandler he knows very much that when he chooses to deploy his dramatic chops it could be wildly effective and it is so here it's about an hour and 50 minutes long uh it looks beautiful for a netflix film which i think we all know sort of what cinematography in the streaming age can look like but i think rank does an incredible job both in terms of the like literal c celestial outer space and the actual spaceship that Sandler spends most of his time on and the CGI of the giant spider that Dano plays. Spaceman will be hitting Netflix on on February 23rd. Oh, so that's tomorrow. No, sorry. I'm sorry. It is going to be hitting limited theaters on February 23rd and then hitting Netflix on March 1st. It has my official stamp of recommendation. I'm probably going to watch it for a second time. It's also based on a book called The Spaceman of Bohemia, which was released in 2017. So if this all sounds good to you, you could check that out too. Finally, I just wanted to share some thoughts on season four of True Detective. I was actually kind of vibing with it in the first half. I think it all sort of went wrong once the living witness sort of uh, Jack Torrance himself and froze to death. And from there, it was a buffet of sort of lazy and convenient writing and thematic contrivances and 
bizarre season one homages that while I don't have a problem with Issa Lopez showing respect to, paying homage to, tying in season one, the way that she didn't didn't really make any sense. For example, the Tuttles who were like pedophilic, demonic billionaires in Louisiana, them funding a research station in Alaska that's trying to do sort of life-saving research doesn't make any sense. Um, the aforementioned Jack, Tor- Jack Torrance witness saying time is a flat circle is as shallow as it comes. We like to complain about comic book films throwing in cheap cameos and Easter eggs and stuff like that. True Detective shouldn't get a pass. It, it, it was nothing more than sort of fan service to that extent. Um, but I do think that the reaction to it has been ridiculous. I obviously think that there's some layer of sexism involved, given that Issa Lopez is a woman, the two stars are a woman, so on and so forth. Of course, you have True Detective season one through three writer Nick Pezzolato talking shit on his Instagram, looking like an absolute baby, when the fact of the matter is that True Detective season four is I mean, it's not better. It's nowhere even close to season one. I think season one, which I just rewatched this year, uh, stands the test of time as like one of the iconic pieces of American pop culture of my lifetime. So living up to that is always going to be a challenge. But Pizzolatto to act like his work on season two and three is beyond reproach is frankly insane. It was a promising concept. I think the fact that they only did six episodes really hurt them i think that that hurts shows in general i mean you look at marvel with their six episode shows and the only one that i think people seem to consensus really like is season two of loki so true detective night country overall it had a good plot it had good acting but the way that it landed the plane and the writing that it used to get there and all of the extracurriculars going on alongside of it really sort of let me down towards the end. I will say that I I need more stuff set in Alaska, particularly during this period when they don't have any sun. If you haven't watched the horror movie 30 Days of Night, which stars Josh Hartnett, that movie is sick. I'm all in on this premise of like... And what I really liked about this season is how living in a town like this affects the interpersonal relationships of everyone in that town. Everybody knows everybody... Jodie Foster's Danvers basically has fucked every dude in the town, which only adds compelling layers of drama to it. So there were parts of this of this season that I really liked, but um, yeah, the way in which it it concluded it all was a major letdown, but not to the extent that Pizzolatto is acting like it is. Okay, solo pod, twenty minutes. I fucking did it. I don't know if I had it in me, but I did it. Uh, So on that note, we're going to swing over to my chat with Alan Richson. You know him as the star Reacher. He used to play Thad Castle on Blue Mountain State. He recently had a part in Fast X. He'll next be seen starring along Henry Cavill in Guy Ritchie's The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. As I said, his new movie, Ordinary Angels, hits theaters on on the night of Thursday, February 22nd, officially on Friday, February 23rd. During our conversation, we talk about that new film. We talk about his use of testosterone. We talk about the success of Reacher, breaking into the industry, playing Aquaman and Smallville, being fan cast as Batman, and more. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) 
Folks, today I am joined by Alan Richson, who you know from projects such as Reacher and Fast X, and whose new movie, Ordinary Angels, hits theaters on February 22nd. Thank you for your time today, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Alan, I'm not going to have time to talk about this series, but I do just want to say at the top, Blue Mountain State was on when I was in college, and yeah. let me tell you, it was electric. It was an amazing I'm, time to be a kid that age. I'm, gl I'm uh, glad you enjoyed it. Thank but, you. But uh, Ordinary... Ordinary Angels, first and most importantly, what did your wife think of your stash? She was, uh, she was digging it. I mean, and it's really, it's disheartening because, I mean, really, that just opens up the possibility of a lot of hideous, like, like any dude with t terrible facial hair is like a, like a contender now, and I'm, I'm scared. Um, <laughs> but no, she, uh, she, she was really, she was digging it. I'm just glad that you didn't find yourself in a Henry Cavill type situation where you had to keep the stash for this project, but then yeah. CGI it out of Reacher. That could have been a disaster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. A time traveler shows up to your house 20 years ago when your career is first starting and tells you you will be headlining a movie alongside a two-time Academy Award winning actress. What's your reaction? And would you be happy with where your career has gone? Yeah, I probably would have had like chocolate milk and done a spit take, you know, classic. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 you, you cannot plan for these kind of things, and you, you can hope and dream big, um, but I, you know, it, you don't. It's never that specific. Like I'm, I, I'm going to be headlining something with a two-time Oscar winner, and um, and and trying to bring to life this incredible true story. Um, I just, you know, it's 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 all it's all a, a fun, shocking journey for me day to day. Um, but I'm, I'm really proud of where life has taken my career. Um, you know, when you start out, you just have to say yes to everything and hope as you build a resume that it all sort of makes some kind of sense. And for most of my career, it was so schizophrenic and disparate that it was hard for people to figure out what to, you know, what to call me in for. I would do a comedy and they'd go like, you know, you're like big, physical, loud, obnoxious. You can't do drama. Do you can't do something small and contained? And I'd go like, oh, for years I would like fight to get in those rooms, and then I would do that and convince people, oh, maybe he can't do drama, and they'd forget about the comedy, and I'd want to get back into comedy. They go, no, oh, but you're doing like really. <laughs> it's been hard. Um, it's been hard to nail down who I am as 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 an artist. Um, and you know, Reacher has sort of really solidified this action space for myself. But again, when, when you know. This was one of the first scripts I read and fell in love with after Reacher came out season one. And 99% of the offers that I had were action movies. And I just felt like this was the right next step. And so um, I still believe um, in my soul this was uh, the best choice I could have made at the time. And uh, I was really happy um, that it, it all worked out. I think, I think it's, um, it's all maturing in the right kind of way. You know, I, I, I want to give you praise for that because, like, I was going to ask that exact thing. What I have wrote down here is taking a role like this in direct response to your reacher fame in yes. terms of showing both your newfound fans and potential employers. Hey, look, I could do this too. I've wanted to do this kind of movie for years, and I, I, you know, I didn't have. Um... I didn't have the value to add to the project. You know, you're competing with like all the Chris's, you know, the Evans and the Pratt's and the Pines. And, you know, I'm like, those, those, those are the people that I'm competing with to tell these kind of stories. And I, I was never going to win in, in, those, in those spaces, you know, until Reacher gave me the opportunity to do that. So I've wanted this for a long time. Um, it, I've been afforded the opportunity to do that through Reacher. But um, I, I think, uh, you know, to me, it's important to, 
to show range and to, to tell unexpected stories at times. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to say no to, to action for the, you know, our first choice out of the gate. And I'm, I'm really glad I did. This is a beautiful story I'm so proud to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had more. I, I would go into, like, how the message of this film reached a non-believer like myself, which I think is a very impressive thing for a film of this to do. Um, Hilary Swank is great in this. Did you learn anything from her or just working alongside her? Um, you know, I yeah, working with Hilary Swank on this was a real gift. Um, I've worked with all different types of... Actors, especially you know, especially being in TV, you know, um, you know, I, I might work with uh, a couple hundred different types of actors and all different skill levels, all different levels of preparation. Some come in and blow your blow your mind, some disappoint, um, and so I've seen it all. Um, but to work with somebody at her caliber was really interesting, um, and I would say the you know kind of the, the the first thing that I noticed was that she she had what you know what a lot of people at the very top have, but um, it's always interesting to see how it manifests. This fearlessness in her performance, it was fearless. Um, she would just inhabit this character and be as big, as ostentatious, as, as obnoxious or as sincere as required, and it was all, it was all just completely unafraid, and um, it was liberating watching that. You go like, oh yeah, like, that, is, that is why she's so good at what she does. Um, it was cool to see firsthand. In in my research for this, I didn't know that she won twice. I knew that she had the one for baby. I didn't know she had one before that. I was like, Jesus Christ. She is she's, decorated she's to an intimidating degree, yes. Yeah. Uh, and just real quick, thinking about trying to get you in a comedy, just have your team point out John Cena. Be like, look, he's right. doing it. <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, speaking of Reacher, other than the general quality of the show, what do you think it is about the show and your portrayal of the character that's hit home to such an extent? That's a really tough question to answer because it's got, there's a lot of facets to that gem, but, um, I think it starts with a great IP. Lee Child set this up in a way that, um, hundreds of millions of people have read the books and fallen in love with them. Um, so a lot of the heavy lifting was done. Um, and then you got, uh, Mr. Cruz who, um, brought Reacher to the feature film space and, and really introduced um, Reacher to the world in a big way. I think without him um, uh, paving the runway for us, I think very few people would be watching our show. So you have a lot of gratitude for what he did. Um, um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, Reacher's wish fulfillment for many of us, for guys and girls. He's, he's unburdened by many of the things that, that weigh us down and, and prevent us from um, from living out the adventures, you know, that await us in life. Um, and I, I think, um, our, you know, most people seek justice, uh, desire justice to, um, you know, to a really rich degree, and few of us see it in our lifetime. And, you know, so the, the, we can escape into a character where you get instant gratification in that way, and that's a lot of fun. Reacher reminds me of a character from the Batman world, wink, wink, uh, but not Batman himself. He reminds me of Joker in the sense that, like, Joker is the um, embodiment of pure, unbridled chaos. Reacher is the uh, embodiment, almost supernatural, of justice. Right. <laughs> they just appear at the right moment to either raise hell or save the day. Right. Yeah, I totally agree um, with that, yeah. The consensus out there seems to be that Persuader, which season three is based on, is the best Reacher book. Do you agree, and does that bring any added pressure? 
You know, it's so subjective. There are so many. I've read all the books. Um, there are there are some that I think that will will adapt to TV beautifully. There are some that I that that may not, but are still great books. So it's really hard to say. Some of my favorite books are like Die Trying is personally my favorite book. Um, um, I, I I hope and I, I believe we could be getting to that one soon. But um, uh, but Persuader is top five on almost every list when you talk about um, Reacher rankings. You know, so I know it's one of the crowd favorites. I'm really proud that we're doing it. Um, it is uh, one of the really pure adventures where it's just Reacher being Reacher and um, and he's in a he's in a really um, interesting quandary you know for most of the film so i think it's it's going to be a blast for people and i'm glad we're doing it you said film feature tv show I'm, okay. i have so I many movies say, i'm doing so many movies right now i have i'm sitting on 22 offers right now I'll, all i'm doing in my free time is reading feature scripts right now so i'm like my head is in oh, a dude. different place congratulations yeah, that's thank incredible you. um something a colleague of mine he brings it up all all, all the time and myself is really um really likes about you is your openness about the way in which you you've used test is that a conversation with, that you had to have with your team about going public with it or was that a solely you standing on your ground be like this is i want to go forward with this because the unspoken secret is a lot of people in your line of work use it but we really appreciated your sort of forthrightness about it so i'm just curious like how you came to the decision to do that Look, I, no, I didn't ask permission to talk about it. Um, it's something that is meaningful and effective in my life, and I don't want to keep it a secret. I, I genuinely believe that it can help a lot of men um, who, you know, need help with mood balance or, you know, restoring muscle loss or, um, you know, you know or, or have a lot of the symptoms that I had, which, which you know, when you have no testosterone, um, you know, like have trouble breathing, you know, there's no hemoglobin um, transfer. There's a lot of reasons why it's a, it's a good idea for a lot of people, and um, you know, if I can be a voice in helping to destigmatize that as like a problem, I mean, this is a natural chemical your body makes. It's um, it's wonderfully effective, and it, it you know can add a lot of vitality to your life. Why would I want to keep that a secret? I want you to feel as 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 your. I want you to feel your best, and if there's a way to help you reach that, then great. This is one way that, awesome. that I've learned. Um, uh, it's something that I need and benefit from, so I'm happy to share it. It's a great answer. Uh, Alan, I've got a couple of DC heroes to ask you about. One you have played and one you have not played. Which would you like first? Let's go with the one I've played, because I think I know who we're talking about for the other one, but uh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. This is the part of the job that I have to do. Um, playing Aquaman in Smallville was your first ever acting role. When you look back on those photos of, of yourself... <laughs> what comes to mind first? And do you ever sort of imagine a butterfly effect career where that spinoff comes to be? Um, what comes to mind first is um, how fast and far I can run from all civilization. When I see myself in that orange head to toe speedo zipped up the middle, um, <clears throat> I see those pictures and I like kind of can't believe that anybody thought it was a good idea to dress me like that, <laughs> like and photograph me with with, uh, with that ensemble. But uh, but when you're just starting out, you you do not feel like you have a voice or permission to say anything. So um, there was I just I never questioned a thing, and I wish I had. Um, that speedo was scary, but. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, that I, I, I was, I, I was happy to, you know, I was happy to play Aquaman, happy to, 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 to kick the door open to Hollywood with that, 
um, that fun character, um, you know, to start my career. But I was also, there's just so many other things that I want to do, like talking about Ordinary Angels again. I mean, uh, getting to play a real-life guy and tell this um, insane, harrowing true story um, about a community rallying together to save a little girl. I mean, this is the stuff. I mean, this is the meat and potatoes to me and um, really highlights um, what a career can, can, can be about. All right, <clears throat> let's do it. But I'm going to do it in a nuanced way so you can love, actually okay, try let's to see, let's see what you got. articulate some thoughts on it. How does it make you feel about your career and your work, that your name is being mentioned as a choice to play one of cinema's most iconic characters? I, the fact that people are interested in me playing Batman is, uh, is a real honor and privilege. I mean, it's one of the first characters I fell in love with as a child. I, I, you know, I, I, I still remember the, the big long shotgun coming out of joker's pants yeah as he goes to shoot down the the bat plane you know in um in in the early days of batman for me i mean those iconic moments really resonated with me as a child um to, to for there even to be a conversation or a rumor mill surrounding this role um uh, for me is um it's just all, all you know all i can do is laugh i mean i just think it's um it's wild that that's what that's where we are um and uh, who knows what, what they have planned for the franchise, you know, if they want to go much younger and tell these origin stories. Uh, you know, it sounds like that's kind of what the, what the plan is. He's got to be old enough to have a kid. Okay, then, you know, I've got a couple of those. So go. Sorry, you know, man. So I'm, I'm not going to let you sneak out like that. <laughs> I would, look, I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Um, it's uh, one of the coolest characters of all time. Hey, man, you've put in the work. I think anybody who's followed your career can see that as clear as day. It is awesome to see it all come together the way that it has. And I will just say, if Daniel Craig could turn Bond blonde, then you, sir, can do the same for Bruce Wayne. Ordinary Angels, February 22nd. Thank you for your time today, Hey, man, thank you so much. Alrighty, thank you to Alan for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, as far as the Batman thing goes, I think the whole cliche of when you're casting Batman, it's more important to be able to play Bruce Wayne than than Batman is utter bullshit. Bruce Wayne is a um a rich kid who lost his parents and 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 is motivated by vengeance. I don't think that's a particularly complex character to wrap your head around i think is richson daniel day lewis is he christian bale is he even robert pattinson probably not but is he competent enough to be able to convincingly play like a uh billionaire who goes out at night and beats the shit out of people and fucks models and lives in man i mean i i just i think that it could work i told him if bond if daniel craig could turn bond blonde he could do the same for bruce wayne but then most importantly i want to see a fucking batman that when he stands next to superman they look like that they could go toe-to-toe and richson undeniably has that all right thank you for tuning in this week leave us a review on apple Podcasts and spotify if you haven't already Follow myself on Twitter at Eric underscore Ital and the podcast at PostgredPod. Follow Brandon at Great underscore Catsby and Cade at Cade underscore Onder. Like I said, if you have any sort of job opportunity for Cade, make sure to reach out to him or myself and I'll pass along the message. You could get at me, Eric at BroBible.com. March is coming up and that means Dune 2. I am seeing Dune 2. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, even though... A ton of journalists have. Warner Bros. is... As 
frustrating as they are when it comes to the movies they make and the decisions that they make. Their PR team is equally frustrating, but I'm finally seeing Dune Part 2 next week in 4DX. They're opening a 4DX at Times Square. So I think that means my chair shakes and like the worm's jizz is going to be blown onto the back of my ankles or something. I'm not really sure, but obviously we are psyched to dive into Dune 2, so make sure to tune in at the start of March for that podcast. All right, y'all. Talk to you later. Peace. Make him an offer, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 